We're going to be reading the last 10 verses in the book of Acts. I want to dive into the 13 distinct characteristics that describe a Holy Spirit-driven church. You know, a lot of us will say, consider the source, or it's a good place to go back to the beginning. One of the privileges that I've had as being a minister over the last 21 years is when I get the opportunity um, to marry to marry couples. And something interesting happens in those marriage ceremonies when the presence of God is allowed to move, that what you'll see is you'll see a new couple remind the old couples in the room of the commitments they made at the beginning. You guys have ever been into a wedding ceremony and you're sitting next to your spouse, hopefully it's your spouse, and you reach over and grab the hand and it takes you back to that original place of commitment. You guys know what I'm talking about. Marriage ceremonies can be very, very beautiful. And so I started thinking this week, um, what happens if we were to go back to when the Holy Spirit initially dropped and deposited into the church in a new way, in a new covenant way, what did the church look like? We recognize that, you know, if I can oversimplify it, which is pretty dangerous, we recognize that in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes in power, Pentecost breaks out, people start, there's cloven tongues of fire, people start speaking in other tongues, thousands of people get saved in one of the greatest sermons that has ever been recorded, Peter's sermon, and in the last 10 verses describe in the book of Acts the dynamic characteristics of a Holy Spirit driven church. How many think that's a good place to start when we look at what a Holy Spirit church should begin to look like, right? So we're going to dive into that today, but I I also, if I could, there's a lot of us that go, oh yeah, the Holy Spirit I've learned about, or the Holy Spirit that I've known about. And what we do is we don't come to a place in our life where we realize that we've crowded or clouded so many things about the Holy Spirit, and sometimes it's good to have a refocusing sermon about what the Holy Spirit's supposed to look like in a church, amen? So that's what we're going to do today. I'm reminded, if you're not careful, what you'll believe about the Holy Spirit church in the New Testament. And so there's this great deposit, the Holy Spirit moves, thousands of people get saved, these 13 characteristics are born, and then we can, if we're not careful, we'll, we'll simple it down in, in the New Testament and go, um, and those certain women in that church be quiet. Or uh, it's probably not a good idea to sleep with your mother-in-law. Those are things that are found in Scripture. And if we're not careful, what we'll do is we'll take the warnings of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament and we'll forget what the church is supposed to look like and we become uh, college professors on what the church is not supposed to look like. And that critical complaining spirit that a lot of people in the church begin to have is we can oftentimes tell each other what the church is not supposed to be, but when we ask each other what the church is supposed to look like, we go quiet. Are we talking to people in this room? I'm talking to myself, isn't it? Isn't it amazing that I, I have yet to find it? it is, there is no such thing as the spiritual gift of problem pointing out. But there are so many people in the church that have become professors about problem pointing outing in the church. Look to your neighbor and say, that better not be you. That better not be you. And so, you know, the church, we've become this, this, if we're not careful, this legalistic place or where we tell everyone what the church isn't, but yet we won't dive into what the church is supposed to be. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about what the church is supposed to be. So the last 10 verses in Acts chapter 2, they read as follows. Now, when they had heard this, They were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, 
Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, the first characteristic is repent. The second characteristic, be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promises for you and for your children and for all who are afar off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. That gift of the Holy Spirit wasn't just meant for the early church. Who was it meant for? This promise is for you and all of your children and for all of you that are far off. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. The third characteristic is people that would be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Forty. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourself from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized And there were added to that day about 3,000 souls. Talk about a really cool altar call. Verse 42. And they devoted. This morning we're going to talk about devotion. You're devoted to something. You're devoted to something. And so you're picking your devotion. But they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, communion, and prayers. Verse number 43. And awe came upon every soul, and many signs and wonders were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. Verse 45, hold on to your wallets. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing to the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, not week by week or 1.5 times a month or not one time a month, Not on Easter only, not on Christmas only. What does it say? And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. One of the characteristics is that you're happy when you eat. How many hungry people in this room? How many foodies do we have in this room? It's a good sign that you're saved if you enjoy food, all right? I probably enjoy it a little too much. And you better not say amen right now. So Jason, what are you nodding your head for? That's the first time that you nodded your head every time I've preached since I've been here. (laughs) He's like, we're going to start a running club for life groups or something. Yeah. No, no running? No. Walking club. We're going to walk. No, we're going to think about walking. (laughs) There we go. We're on to something. Maybe we'll camp and eat while we think about it. I like that. Verse number 47. Praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. In those, ten pa- in those 10 verses, there are 13 characteristics of a church being led by the power of the Holy Spirit. The first is that they were repentant. Repentance. Isn't it a word that we don't even really know, define anymore what that means? I want to be careful because I, in this day of celebration, this wonderful weekend we had, I don't necessarily want to come and swing a hard hammer. I don't want the enemy to come in and bring condemnation where God has brought victory this weekend. But I do want to teach you for a few moments the importance of having repentance, not just at the start of your journey, but at the end of your journey. So the Bible says that repentance was the number one sign that the church was being led by the Holy Spirit. Listen to me. I've said it before and I'll say it again. It doesn't matter if you can speak in tongues if you gossip about your neighbor doesn't matter if you can have many mighty works, but if you can't be friendly and smile and love your neighbor, we've got issues. 
The Bible says at the beginning of the church, there was something called repentance. Repentance, if you break down that word, talks about returning to the penthouse or to the top. It doesn't necessarily say that you're not just going to get rid of some things. It says that you're going to return to the beginning or to that top place where God has for you. Right now, what we have is we have a church, listen to me, we have a church of America that rather than preaching repentance, preaches belief. If you believe in God. Now, belief is great. Romans 10, 9, and 10 says that if you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth, you will be saved. It doesn't say you are saved. It says you will be saved. So belief is one of those those beginning seeds of a person's life where you have to have it. But belief is not repentance. And so a lot of people come to church and they think because they believe in God or they believe in their country or they're patriotic or they believe in 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 the things of God and that God can do it, that they say, well, I must be in the kingdom. No, belief is just the first step that gets you on the road to being part of the kingdom of God. So look to me and say, look to, look to your neighbor and say, belief is wonderful, but it's the first step of a life towards repentance. So repentance is an actual change. My mind changes when God gets a hold of my heart And it's in that transforming power of God. I'm not ashamed of the power of God, for it is a power of God that worketh unto salvation. That belief and that that confession, it leads to repentance. And so what we do is we, we, as as pastors, we say, well, if you want to accept Jesus in your heart, would you wink at me? Would you raise your hand? Would you you wave your toes? Would you you come to a a free barbecue so that I I can convince you to join the church? And what we've done is we have changed the goalpost of Christianity to be just be believers. The Bible says if you believe only, listen to me, if you believe only, that puts you on par with demons. Because even the demons believe. So believe, listen to me, if you ever want to walk in the fullness that God has for you, your relationship with Him has to go beyond belief, then it's got to turn into confession. And the reason why we have changed the goalpost, listen to me, because what we have done is it's easier to change what we believe than how we behave. That's what we've done. It's it's easier to change how we believe than it is how we behave. Repentance is a choice. Repentance is saying, I am not going to do that thing that the Word of God tells me not to do. And it's not just saying I'm not going to do things, it's saying that I'm going to lay things down to pick things up. Because how many know there's sins of commission, things that I do wrong, but there's also sins of omission. The Bible says for him to know what to do is right, but does it not to him that is sin. So the Bible talks about a repentant heart is not just about things that you don't do, but it's about the things that God calls you to do. If I were to see somebody in need, I'm going to be held accountable for that one day as a Christian, as a believer. So most of us believe that, but does that belief and that confession allow us to walk with the heart of repentance? So let me tell you why this is so important. The church in the book of Acts started with repentance, and the message to the seven churches in Revelation was what? Repentance for this thing I have against you. So repentance isn't something that I do just one time. It's a heart and an attitude that says, Lord, no matter what comes my way, 
allow me to be teachable and correctable and moldable and repent when you point out things in my life. Repentance. What are things that you need to repent for today? Many people that are raised in church or have church knowledge, they'll say, well, look at what I did 10 years ago for God. Look what I did five years ago for God. Well, look, look what I did three years ago for God. And they'll ignore the bitterness or unforgiveness in a relationship they have. And what do they do? They go back from being at a place of repentance to saying, well, I believe and I confess, so therefore I must be walking with the Lord. What we turn into is modern day Samsonites. The scariest scripture that I find is in the book of Judges where it says in Samson, in the King James Version, Wist not knew that the Spirit of God had departed from him. Or he didn't even know that he wasn't even walking in the approval of God anymore. And so the gateway, listen to me, the gateway of walking in the kingdom of God is not just belief, it's not just confession, it's repentance. And I believe what's going to usher in the move of God in America today is when repentance comes back to the house of God. What we can do is we can point to the White House. We can point to the local government houses. But if I were to have you and just get in your kitchen and eat some lunch this morning, what I will tell you is what, what the problem with America has started with and must, where it's going to end is repentance has to come back to the house of God. Us, us who claim to be believers and confessors of Jesus have to go beyond just belief and confession and walk through that door of repentance and say, God, there is nothing in my life that's off limits to you. I was old enough in the church to remember when this shifted in the church. Holiness turned into legalism. In legalism, there was a lot of people that rejected legalism, and instead of correcting it, they ran out to the world. And what ended up happening was, is the people of the church in the lobby met lost people that were coming in, and the people in the church were heading to the bars and the wineries and the, and the, and the casinos and they were heading to the traveling and, and the people in the world that were walking in, they met the people in the church and the people in the world were like, hey, listen, I've lived my whole life for that and it has still yet to fill the void in my life and so I don't think that you want to try that. And what we have to come back to is a place where lost people, when they come into the church, it's not just, hey, I want to introduce you to a community. Community is great. I want to introduce you to fellowship. Fellowship is great. I want to introduce you to the power of the Holy Spirit. The power of the Holy Spirit is great. It's what leads us to a place of repentance. But listen to me, if you are leading lost people to any other place but in the place of repentance, what you have is a crowd, you don't have disciples. What you have is you have a good community and fellowship, but you don't have disciples. And when I read this word, the word doesn't say build a great fellowship. What does it say? It says, go and make disciples. And so if you're new to the faith, then maybe you've never even had a preacher talk to you this way. I want you to know I am so glad that you're here, but my goal of you being in this service today is not for you to come join this church and become a member. That's not my goal. My goal is not for you to give 10% of your money to the church and, and, and feel like you're doing something or crossing a box. No, my goal for you is to provoke you. It's to, it's, to, it's to nestle you into a place of saying, God, if I'm going to mean business with you, there is nothing in my life this morning, today, right now, that if you point it out, that I won't give to you. If there's unforgiveness, if there's bitterness, if there's filthy language coming out of my mouth, if there's, God, whatever it is in my life, if there's a gossiping tongue, if there's, if there's adultery in my life, if there's issues of sexual sin in my life, God, there is nothing off limits because why? 
I want to be found as a person that goes beyond believing and confessing to a person that is repentant, that says, God, I do not want anything that is in my life to be separate, to separate me from you. And that can only happen when the Holy Spirit leads me into a relationship with Jesus. Because Jesus, He changes things, doesn't He? Listen to me, you got to be careful that being raised or being in the church for a long time that you haven't learned how to worship worship. Even some things in the church that are wonderful, if they're out of place, can become idols that are in our life. What is idolatry? Idolatry is anything that I put in front of God. I can put good things in front of God. I've told you this example, but I want to bring it home to this pastor. I I can remember driving in our U-Haul up I-5 and tears coursing down my face because I was talking to the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit was reminding me over the last decade of my life as a believer how many times I went to my pastor, how many times I went to my wife, how many times I went to fellow believers before I went to him about certain issues. Isn't it, isn't it good to go talk to your pastor? Absolutely. Isn't it good to talk to your spouse? Absolutely. Isn't it good to talk to fellow believers? Absolutely. But not before you talk to him. And what we have done is in the churches, we've, we've traded. We've traded belief and confession and community and fellowship from the front door of what the Holy Spirit really inspired the church to do, which was repentance. To have a repentant heart. To say, God, there is nothing. There's not an attitude, an action. That there is nothing that is off limits. And I am not going to substitute as a pastor the belief in God for repentance and choice that moves you away from your sin. It's, it's, it's a reason why it's an important, it's an important thing for us, and especially in the American church, to understand. Because the goalposts are being moved. Well, pastor, they love Jesus. They're lovers of Jesus, but they're in a, an adulterous relationship. Then they're not lovers of Jesus. Well, pastor, they, they go to church, but they just have this sin problem. And it's, you know... One day, God's going to work on their life. No, what they're they're walking in is unconfessed, unrepentant sin. And the Bible says that'll send you to hell. And so what the world has done, the world has came into the church and said, change the goalposts. Change the goalposts on what it means to be a believer. What it means to, to walk in confession and get yourself to a place of repentance. And what we have is if we water down what it means to have a true relationship with Jesus, you have a kind of church that people go, where's the power of God at work? Where are the signs and wonders? Where are the miracles? Where are the li- where's the life-transforming power of God at work in the church? It's because we've watered it down so much that what we have put a priority on is looking like we're serving God rather than actually serving God. It's repentance. Look to your neighbor and say, it's repentance. And I I walk to you with this message humbly. Humbly. The Bible says in 1 John, if you have ought against your brother, if you can't forgive your brother or sister, you will not be forgiven. Is that not what it says? It's what it says. And so what we do is we water it down. Oh, well, so-and-so deserves it. So-and-so deserves that hate, that bitterness. So-and-so, no. Relationally speaking, God says if you can't get this right, this isn't right. And so what do we do? We, we just 
We just move on. Well, everyone's got their issues. You guys ever heard that phrase? And that's a way of excusing. It's a way of, of minimizing my sin in my life to say, well, everyone's got their issues. No, the truth is, is when someone comes to me, I'm, I'm a pastor, and I'm not going to be perfect, but if someone comes to me and says, pastor, this is wrong in your life, as a brother and sister in Christ, if they came to me, my proper reaction shouldn't be, well, look at your life. My proper reaction should be, man, God, I messed up. God, I don't want to just have a repentant heart at the beginning of my walk with you. I don't want to just have a repentant heart at the end of my walk with you. God, there's nothing that's off limits in my life that you can't call out at any moment. You know the, the, the definition of being deceived? I know I'm taking a few moments on here, but the Holy Spirit's parked me here for a few moments. Is that okay? Most of us, we don't even really understand what the word deceived means in, in Scripture. Deceived means that you don't even know you're doing it. Some people go, well, the church is deceived. Well, if you're truly living a life in deception in the church, you don't even know you're doing it. You're just, you're doing the best you can, what you know how, and it's the Holy Spirit's job in your life, if you will open the door, it's, your Holy, it's the Holy Spirit's job in your life to, son or daughter, that thing that you're walking with, that's not the fullness that I have for you. Most of us have this hunger. I was at a men's breakfast yesterday with about 40, 40 guys, 45 guys. And we talked about the three types of men that God is, is calling us, two types of men he's calling us out to and the third he wants us to be. We were dead like Lazarus. We were defeated like Lazarus wearing our grave clothes. But God hasn't called us to be dead or defeated. He's called us to be dangerous. Lazarus was so dangerous that the religious officials of the day wanted to kill him, plot to kill him in John chapter 12 because he was causing and, and causing too many people to run towards Jesus. God, make me a dangerous man. What we've done is the church, God has raised us out of our, our trespasses that we were, we were once dead in sin. And we're like Lazarus, we have our grave clothes on. Verse number 44, John chapter 11. And we stay there. We stay in our grave clothes. We're alive. We, we're not where we used to be. We're, we're not as bad as we once were. And Jesus, I don't know how long verse 44 took in real time, but Jesus finally had a look at Lazarus as a crowd gathered around him and said, take off his grave clothes. A lot of us come to church. We, we are no longer dead. We are no longer, or we're, we're not yet dangerous. And we just live defeated. The sin defines us. Our testimony of what God did 10 or 15 or 20 years, that's what defines us. And I want to just encourage you guys today, just as your, as, your, as your pastor, if you cannot look back into the now of your life and see God working, it's probably because you decided to remain defeated. Because the same God that worked in your life 15 years ago and 20 years ago and 25 years ago, Keith and Nancy, 60-year anniversary, 60 years ago. What an incredible thing. That's not bad. If you want to know what kind of person Nancy is, she married Keith and stayed with him for 60 years. That's pretty good. I told Keith at his anniversary party, and I, and I mean this, and I'll say this from the pulpit to honor you. God's not done with you. 
It's not what you've done yesterday in the, Amer- in the marriage ministry. It's not what you've done 50 years ago, 40 years. What I love about Keith and Nancy is like, what is God doing today? Because God doesn't just stop working once you get to a certain age or he doesn't just stop working when you get to a certain place. If you and your heart will remain at a repentant place, repentance is the gateway to the kingdom of God. And so what some of us are doing in this room, man, I wish so-and-so in this room was listening to their pastor. (laughs) And what this pastor is trying to tell you is, I'm talking to you. Talking to you. What is it in your life that you have let remain grave clothes on that God is trying to cut those grave clothes off? Is 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 it the way that my faith or my intellect acts with the word of God where I'll pick my own theory over the word of God. You gotta be careful that you don't submit yourself to man's opinions of the word over the word. As great of a pastor as I am, don't ever believe me over the word of God. Don't do it. If I say something that's not aligned with this word of God, you listen to the Word of God every time. I don't know if you've ever looked back on your past journals as, in your faith. I remember looking 20 years ago, and I, I still have some of my sermons from 20 years ago, and I'll read over them and I'll go, did I write that? That cannot be true. I said that? Because all of us are on this journey, if we're doing it right, of repenting from the world's philosophies, the world's teachings, the world's ways, And every day we're getting closer to Him. And so what is God speaking to you about in the today of your life? I know He's taken you from where you've been, but I'm thankful that He hasn't got us to where we've arrived. And He's still working in our lives. Look to your neighbor and say, a repentant heart. The Bible says that We must change our minds. And to change your mind is the kind of repentance that is called to change the way that you live. It means the entrance into the church or the kingdom is not through absorption. It's through action. To repent. To repent is to change the the way that you live. If I find something in Scripture to say that it's sin... I should stop doing it. When I, when I talk to my 18-year-old and my 11-year-old and we give them an order and they wait 20 minutes, what we tell them is delayed obedience is still disobedience. And that is what a lot of the, is happening in the church today. We know, but we better act. And I, I want to just be very clear why the Lord has me here. Because many in this church, many in, in, in my own life, the desires of my own heart, the hunger that I have to see a, a genuine move of God in our community, we should stop asking why it's not here. Because we know why it's not here. It's the places that are in my life that I have learned to live with that Christ died so I could live without them. Every one of us, every one of us has those places in our heart, in our life, if we're not careful. That we just have allowed our flesh to deceive us from walking into the fullness that God has for us. Because the only way to get into the kingdom 
is to make a personal decision. And your faith and belief must line up with what the church bore witness to in Jesus Christ. I believe the number one sign of a church that's being led by the Spirit is a church that teaches and practices repentance. It's the front door of what Acts chapter 16, verses 31 says, that if you will believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. Belief and confession meets repentance. I like what Dr. George Wood said, our former superintendent. Believing in Jesus is like repainting a fence or a wall. And a fresh coat of paint makes a a thing look new and beautiful again. But true repentance is like scraping the old paint off the wall. You must scrape the old stuff off to get the new coat to adhere it as it should. And we have a lot of believers today that have seven or eight layers of paint. And the Lord's saying, you got to be willing to scrape off the old so that when he applies the new, it can adhere as it should. The first step is a step of repentance. The second step is a step of water baptism. Acts chapter 2 and verse 38 says, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. You know that repentance and baptism are closely connected, both involve washing away of sins. And I want you to to lock in here and I want you to, to put your thinking cap on, your observation hat on. Man, the older I get, the more I love to observe people and actions. We went to Disneyland a, a couple weeks ago or last week, and man, do I love to watch people. People are interesting creatures. Repentance is a spiritual act whereby the sins are washed away, and baptism is a physical act that symbolizes the washing that is taking place inside. Peter did not say, be baptized someday if you feel good about it. Peter didn't say, if you're an introvert, you don't have to be baptized. Peter didn't say, if you get scared about doing it, don't do it. What did Peter say? Peter said, you have to be baptized once you repent. And I I want to be very clear. Too many Christians have become lax about following Jesus' example and instruction to be baptized. The Bible says that if you've repented and believed in Jesus, you are under a scripture obligation to be baptized. It's the dumbing down. I was old enough to remember in the church when we would do communion every day or every Sunday. Now what we do is because we don't want it to become religious, we do communion once a month. And I'm going to talk about this in a few moments. It's the same thing with water baptism if you're not careful. We will take the things that we are commanded to do as believers, listen to me, and we will dumb them down and we'll say things like this. God will understand. No, God understands that the first act that he has commanded the church or a believer or a confessor or a repentant heart to do is to be baptized. And God understands that if you do not do it, what you're doing is your first act of being a child of God is you're walking in disobedience. So the impetus, the idea of of baptism is something that is scriptural. And if you read back to the beginning, the the church that that is on fire for Jesus through the working of the Holy Spirit, the first thing that they attribute that they had was repentance. What was the second one? Baptisms were happening everywhere. Why? Because people were coming to Jesus and they realized that the public statements of faith cemented externally what God had already done eternally. Can I encourage some of you new Christians that have been here just for a few moments or a few months? 
I'd encourage you to get water baptized. I want to just do a little poll here. How many people have been baptized in water publicly? That's a lot of you. You guys are a bunch of... Keep your hands raised really quick. You guys are a bunch of radicals for Jesus. (laughs) And what the enemy does, here's what the enemy does. The enemy makes the new believer feel pointed out as though no one else has actually walked through that. And that is why it is important that when you see a new person or a new believer in church, that you do not keep your testimony or the way that God has said things to yourself, that you grab onto them, that when you see a couple come down to an altar, you see a new person come down to an altar, it is your obligation to be spirit-led and say you've repented, now you get baptized. Come on, somebody. The third thing, after water baptism or after repentance and water baptism, the Bible says that they receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You know, repenting and baptizing are two things that we can do, but the third mark of a biblical church is something that God has to do for us. Acts chapter 2 and 38 says this, you might receive the gift of this Holy Spirit. Is that what it says? It says you can hope for receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit. Is that what it says? It says if you, if you really, if you really, you know, half repent, you might receive the gift. No, here's what it says. If you repent and you're baptized, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The gift is a promise. Acts chapter 2 and verse 39, the promise is for who? It's for you and your children and for all those who are far off. And for all whom the Lord our God will call. Aren't you thankful that He's called you? The promised gift has evidence that can be seen and heard. You know, I believe it should not be difficult to judge whether a person or church has received the promise of the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's part of the reason why I don't believe in such a thing of a quiet church. When I think the church is at its greatest is when the church is exalting the name of Jesus you lifting up their hands and lifting up their voice. And people should walk into this fellowship and go, the Holy Spirit's there. How do I know the Holy Spirit's there? It's because you can hear and see the Holy Spirit in action in a believer and a church's heart. Such a gift can be seen and heard by those who receive the gift. You know, the Holy Spirit leads us to God in worship. And He also leads us into the world in power. The Holy Spirit doesn't just come and want to work in a corporate setting on a Sunday morning. Actually, if you want to know what ends up happening in a Holy Spirit-driven church, Sunday mornings become a celebration of what God has done Monday through Saturday. I had the privilege of going to our Rock the Block trailer event, and I don't know if Pastor St. John, there there he is. You're like moved on me. I was just so, um, man, just humbled by the team that you put together that was out there and the God conversations that I was able to, to have yesterday. The, do you realize that God sets up appointments? And it wasn't by chance that we went to that cul-de-sac at that part of town, at that place, in front of that family. And sitting out there, having these conversations, today for me was a celebration of what I've seen this week. Vacation Bible school with 100 plus students and 30 plus volunteers. 
It was a culmination of what I saw at the men's breakfast where one of the men described it as a Gideon moment for our men. Then I went from there to the all sports park and I, I was able to meet new families that were dropping their kids off. And I was just thinking about what God was doing that was so incredible because, because people are being added daily. And then I got to go to the, to the, to the outreach and, and I was just watching like a young man like by the name of Dawson Graves sit and barbecue hot dogs. And, and I love his Facebook posts because they're so encouraging to this pastor. And, and there's something in the heart of our young adults right now and our young people that want to see a move of God in action. When I think about Cecil and Gavin, when I think about Marcos, one of my favorite VBS moments is Marcos. Mark, I won't do it like Marcos, but Marcos was, um, he gets up and he goes, my name is Marcos, but you can call me Marcos. And I was like, we're going to go with Marcos. It was like a princess bride moment, you know, I'm one Montoya, prepare to die. You know, it was like one of those kind of moments. I love that Sunday mornings become a celebration and an invitation to jump into the things of God. I love when Pastor St. John calls people forward because we can, we can so get used to saying, well, I used to do that and I've done that, but why am I supposed to do that today? My dad used to embarrass me growing up. He was a, a head board member, head elder of the church. He got saved under Pastor Hood's ministry and Pastor Hood taught him things like, hey, every time the altars are open, get there because you never know what God has for you. And sometimes when you get down there, He's going to direct you to pray for the person next to you. So you just go. And there would be like words of knowledge that would come forth. I feel like there's a woman in this room that, that God wants to touch. And no one would come forward. And there goes, walks my dad down the aisle. And I would be like a 15-year-old person, like teenager going, oh my gosh. My dad is answering an altar call for a woman. People, what, are, what are people going to think? And I would have these conversations with them. I would, get, I would get home and I'm like, Dad, why did you answer that altar call? And he would just, with tears in his eyes, he would say, Son, because I want to be available if God wants to do something. And if I step first, and that gives someone else courage to step, I'm going to step first. My dad, is, as he, would, he would model this to me as someone would come forward and they would take the first step. My dad wouldn't let them take the second step without them knowing that someone was with them. And my dad would step alongside of him. Why? Because Sunday mornings is a celebration of what God is doing and it's an invitation. So listen to me. If you are brand new to our church and this is the first time you've been here, this is an invitation, a personal invitation to experience the Holy Spirit like you've never experienced Him before. In fullness. In power. You don't have to be scared of the Holy Spirit in your life. If the Father gives good gifts to you, you do not have to be scared. It's an invitation to go to the deep end. It's an invitation to know that the Holy Spirit just leads us to God in worship, and He also leads us into the world in power. The God appointments are incredible. The Spirit of God will descend only upon people whose hearts are poured out Broken, open, and dependent upon God. What are the four steps? Simple steps that I can come up with today about being filled with the Holy Spirit. One is this. Just obey what Peter told that crowd in Acts chapter 2. Be a person of repentance. The second is, is when you look at God, what God promises about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we need, to, we need faith to receive this blessing from God. God. 
And where does faith come from? Faith comes from hearing the word of God, Romans chapter 10, verses 17. If you're still in the middle of wondering if this gift is from you, inject your faith with Holy Ghost steroids found in His Word, and faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. When you start reading about the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2, begin to read about it, not just internally. Use your voice externally while you're in your car or while you're in your break at work. And let faith talk to your flesh and subdue it because faith is needed to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Here's the third thing. Ask and get ready to receive this precious gift from the, that the Father is offering you. Anticipate like a child that the Holy Spirit is going to come paint me with power. The dunamis power of God. I, I was at Rock the Block trailer and the reports that I got, there was two just precious stories of of they went out and we went out and handed flyers the week before and there was a little girl that was literally at her window at 7 a.m. opening the curtains and waiting for the inflatables to come. There was anticipation of what God was going to do for her. For her. Not for her mom, not for her dad, not for her sister, but when is the promise of the inflatables coming? When is it coming? When is it coming for me? When is it coming for me? When is it coming for me? Learn how to live a life with godly anticipation. Bill Whitlock was out there serving and he was manning the inflatables and this little nine-month-old that can barely walk and was scraping her knees everywhere and the, the, the parents were allowing her to crawl on the asphalt and she finally gets up and she takes two steps and she looks at Bill, Mr. Bill, and says, I'm falling towards you. And Bill catches her and holds her and behind his glasses and his rough exterior, a tear starts going down of his cheek and he goes, you know, pastor, I think this is worth it. We got to be like those, we got to be like that little, that little girl that trusts the arms of our father to do what he says he'll do. And then the fourth step is by faith, do your part to receive this gift. You know, it took God's help for Peter to walk on water towards Jesus. Likewise, only God can enable you to speak in a language you do not know. I believe that God is ready to do His part, but you also have a part in the miracle. Do you know that Jesus did not force Peter to leave the security of the boat? Neither did he pick up Peter's feet and cause him to step out on the water. Jesus simply invited Peter for a walk. The walk wasn't like anything he had ever experienced before. He knew how to walk on dry ground. He even knew how to walk in a shallow wind. But Jesus invited Peter to do something that he had never did, be, did before. I, I want you to know that's what being filled with the Holy Spirit's like. The same voice that called you to salvation and repentance is the same voice that will call you to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's not something new. I always try to tell people who have yet to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, oh, it's like what you felt, but a little more intense. It's the moment that you cannot explain, and once you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit, there's an appreciation. It's like everything is more vivid. 
I don't know if you remember if you've been in this room when you've been filled with the power of the Holy Spirit before. I don't know about you, but it was like I was viewing life a little blurry. And then the Holy Spirit endued me with power. And it was like I put these glasses on and I began to see burdens like I'd never seen before. My heart broke for things that, I, that had never been broken before. I had, I had, the Holy Spirit would talk to me about reaching to people that I never thought I'd reach before. Why? Because when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, the first and foremost gift is the power to become a witness for Him. What an incredible thing that is. The miracle, though, wasn't not that Peter... Brooke, if you can come back to the keyboard today. The miracle was not that Peter walked. He was using his feet in the way that he used them each day. Likewise, the miracle of speaking in tongues is not that you talk. You will talk with your same tongue, your same voice you will use each day. But just as it was Peter's choice to start walking and stop walking, it is our choice to start talking and to stop talking. God will do His part, but you must do your part. I think a lot of people think that the Holy Spirit is only about speaking in tongues. Mm -mm. The Bible says that's just the front door to a wonderful relationship with Him that will lead you and guide you to incredible moments that He's inviting you into. Next week, we're going to pick up the other nine, nine characteristics of a Holy Spirit-driven church. And by the way, they can probably flash us on the screen if you want to take your QR code or your phone and scan the QR code. My notes are in detail for these 13 steps, and it'll give you some opportunities for Bible studies throughout this week. It's a, just an incredible time for you to dig a little deeper. Do you believe it's time to dig a little deeper? Dig a little deeper. I've got scripture references, and I've got things that are, you're going to be able to dive into. And if you're unsure about the Holy Spirit, what I want you to do is I want you to to dive into Scripture. Don't believe this man. Believe this Word. Because God has the fullness for you. Would you guys stand to your feet all across this room? And I thank you for your attentiveness. But that which He has promised us is about to come upon us. Hallelujah. Would you mind? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes and lift up your hands? If you feel comfortable with it this morning, an invitation. Holy Spirit, we invite you. Father, I've done my best today to honor what you've spoke to me about. Father, would you let your Holy Spirit come into this room in a way that it hasn't been here since I've gotten here? that will attest to the word that was spoken over the last 30 minutes. Father, I invite you to come to take over your church. Holy Spirit, would you come? I want to invite you just where you're standing, where you're sitting, just for the next few moments, would you stretch up your hands, lift up your voice, and welcome the presence of the Holy Spirit in this room. Would you use your voice to do so? Holy Spirit, we invite you. Father, there's a hunger stirring. There's a hunger stirring all, all across this world. We recognize that Jesus is coming back soon. 
when we read scriptures of wars and rumors of wars, when we hear the warnings about pestilences and diseases, when we hear the warnings about the church going towards teachers that will itch their ear, Father, we don't have to look far or long to see the evidence to know that you're coming back soon. But you said that when you were coming back, that there would be a great mighty move of God that would be a precursor to you coming. So Father, we welcome it. Come on, church, would you stir that gift of God in you? Would you just begin to cry out loud to him? Father, we welcome you. Maybe you've never even done this step, but Heavenly Father, I repent. As a pastor and as a believer, as a father and as a husband, I repent, God, of every idol that I put in front of you. I'm sorry that we've turned your church into a place of consumerism. I forgive and ask for for, for a heart of repentance when it comes to turning your place into a place to where we've become apathetic and lukewarm and complacent. Father, set this house on fire. Father, we ask for it in the mighty name of Jesus, a repentant heart. Church, I want you to hear this, Pastor. We don't need quiet voices right now. We need voices that will travail in this spirit. Come on, would you lift up your voice all across this room? Would you cry out? Heavenly Father, we invite you. Father, if it's from you, we want it. If it's not from you, we don't want it. Father, I see grave clothes falling off right now in Jesus' name. I see addictions and affirmities and sickness and disease falling off now in Jesus' name. I see complacency and lukewarmness falling off right now in Jesus' name. We speak to every stronghold that is trying to hold this church back from fullness to be gone in Jesus' name. Father, we forget those things which are behind us, and today we ask you to do something new amongst us. We're just warming it up right now. Word of God says to stir that gift of God that's inside of you up. We're just stirring it up in Jesus' name. We speak to dry bones that you can live in Jesus' name. Father, a deep and hunger and desire to know you. God, let this sermon irritate every religious part of who we are. Father, wake us up in Jesus' name. Father, we pray to those that are afar off, the promise. God, I pray for my son, Jaden. I pray for Jace. That they would know you like they've never known you before. That they wouldn't be satisfied with what mom and dad know of you, but they would want a desire to go deeper in you. God, would you touch our kids? Would you touch our young people? Would you touch our young adults? God, would you touch every public school in this, in this county, in this region? God, would you touch our public officials? God, would you awaken our president, oh God? God, would you touch our congressmen, our senators? God, would you touch this world with your power? And God, let it start with me right now in Jesus' name. Let a hunger come. Let a thirst come. Father, would you do it? Here you are. Since your presence coming close, 
Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you make this place holy ground? God, I'm tired of church as church has always been. I'm tired of chasing the move of God that you've promised never to catch it. God, and I realize the problem is not you. The problem is not your character. The problem is not your promise. The promise is our obedience. And so, Father, we repent. God, would you come close? Holy Spirit, would you come close? Hallelujah. Father, let repentance hit your church. We're sorry for the things that we've made it. We're sorry for putting you in a time box. We're sorry for putting you in a style box. We're sorry that we've told you that you've had to do it that way, that what you've done, have done it before. But Father, we're open to new ways and new ideas and new methods that are based upon your word. Father, would you do it anew? Would you do it afresh? Father, my hunger is longer than five minutes. I'm willing to wait for you, oh God. I'm willing to be made the fool for you, oh God. I'm willing to be uncomfortable for you. God, I just want you. I want you in your fullness to hit this valley with the revival that you've promised it. Father, you've come here not to make a small stir, but to change hearts and lives. And so, Father, let it start in this room. Holy Spirit, would you come? Even stronger, even deeper. First step this morning. God, return into us a repentant heart. If you have an ear to hear this morning what the Spirit of God is saying, in just a few moments, you're going to walk from your seat and you're going to find a place down at an altar. And you're going to ask God to return unto you the joy of your salvation and your first love. If you say, Pastor, I don't have anything to repent for, you're the person I'm talking to. You've been blinded, you've been deceived. You have a religious curiosity, but you don't know Jesus. Many people on that day will say, Lord, Lord, didn't I? And he'll say, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. God, that a repentant heart would hit our church. That we would publicly confess our faith through water baptism and every day that we walk with you. And that we would be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit.
before you walk in that direction this morning, this pastor is going to challenge you if it's been a long time. I don't care how old you are. I don't care how young you are. But you say, Pastor, I'm accepting the invitation for the promise of our Heavenly Father and the gift of the Holy Spirit and the move of God for this valley. I'm accepting the invitation. I don't even know what it looks like, but I'm accepting a return to a repentant heart. I don't want you to wait. I don't want you to to hesitate. As my wife and this worship team begins to lead us in the Holy of Holies, would you come find a place at these altars to kneel and say, Lord, let us start with me. Would you do it now? Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So clean my hands, purify my heart. I want to burn for you, Lord. Only for you. And save my life as a sad.
before we dismiss and we're still going to remain here as long as I'm hungry. I'm, I'm, I'm more hungry than 10 minutes down at an altar and we're going to stay here. But I do want to honor some of your guys' time commitments that are here today. But I, I want you to hear me. Could you hear this, Pastor? It is hard to have a hunger for God when you've filled up your life with everything else. And I'm going to... I'm going to I'm going to be, probably the first time I'm going, to be, I'm going to be really frank, be really direct. When your pastor under the anointing of the Holy Spirit says, come fill the altars and you don't, a decision's made. I know it's easier to sit. I know it's easier to stand. I know it's easier to be in the back. But you do not question why God's not doing what he promised to do if you're not willing to do what he's asked you to do. The heart of this pastor is my wife and I did not come here to start a small stir. We didn't come here to play church. We came here to see a region touched by the power of God. And what we're looking for is we're looking for dangerous people that aren't dead, that aren't defeated, but they're dangerous like Lazarus where the enemy takes note of who they are. What we need is a fervency to hit our body that hasn't been here in a long time. And it will not hit if you fill up your stuff with everything other than the things of God. If you've got unforgiveness in your heart, if you've got ought, if you've got complacency, if you've got apathy, the only way to get rid of it is to fast away from the things of this world and to say, God, you are my destination. You are what I'm after. I'm not after something that man can produce. There is plenty of churches in this area that will give you a wonderful man-manufactured irrigation. But this pastor and his wife and his family and this church is after a move of God where services don't stop. We might dismiss we might say it's time to go home, but the services extend as we're praying and laying our hands on waitresses and waiters where we, God burdens us to call family members, that God directs us to talk to coworkers, and Sundays becomes a celebration of what God's doing. But it can only come, listen to me, with hungry hearts. You can't fill yourself up with Fox News and CNN. You can't fill yourself up with the political jargon of the day. You can't fill yourself up with everything that the world has to offer and think that you're going to create in you an appetite or hunger for the things of God. Lord, give us a hunger for you like we've never had before. Would you take 60 seconds before we dismiss you and we're, some of us are going to remain praying, but would you stretch up your hands all across this room? I just felt like I was supposed to make myself very clear today. Father, let this place become a place where we meet with you, where the hungry come and are fed, where the thirsty come and are given a drink. Father, I put the stake in the ground this morning. Father, bring dangerous people around this pastor. Father, that want to attack the enemy, that want to win a city and a region for you, that we're not satisfied with this doing church as normal. Father, I'm 
reminded of the dozens and dozens of volunteers this week at BBS that have declared with their life, I want to be dangerous. I'm reminded of the men that showed up on Saturday morning that said, Pastor, I want to be dangerous. I'm reminded of the youth that showed up for their youth activity. Lord, I want to be dangerous. Lord, I'm reminded of the rock the block trailer. Lord, I want to be dangerous. Heavenly Father, make this a dangerous church to the kingdom of this world. Father, let a hunger come like never before. Father, I see the earmarks. I see the clouds that are about the size of a man's hand. Father, I speak to those clouds and say it's time to grow in Jesus' name. It's time for the bones to begin rattling. It's time for hunger to hit the body of Christ before. And we declare these things in Jesus' name. If that's you, I want you to take 60 seconds and I want you to praise and I want you to worship and I want you to honor God like you haven't done today. Would you do it starting now? Come on. Hallelujah. 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 Father, let it break. Let the hunger start. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, Jesus, you change everything. Yes, victory. We speak victory. Hallelujah.